Good day and welcome to um, Modesto's uh, podcast series, The Future of Insurance with Industry Leaders. I'm really thrilled today to have Sabine Vanderlinden uh, joining me today on today's podcast. Welcome, Sabine. It's great having you uh, remotely as we're uh, both kind of self-quarantined these days. Welcome. Thank you very much, Denise. Pleasure to be with you today. Same with you. You know, one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about is for you first to give a little bit of background on yourself and what you're doing with insurers around innovation, because you've got really a, a very interesting multifaceted role from the startup bootcamp insure tech to your managing director role at the Proposition Group and a lot of different things. Kind of uh, give your background and what you're doing these days. Yes. So background, I guess, 20 years in insurance. I started my career at Lloyd's of London. After I went to do my MBA, I went into consulting, so work with IBM, PwC. Quickly, uh, after I would say eight years, I decided to specialize in technology. I was fortunate enough to work for companies like FICO and Pega, where uh, in the case of FICO, I looked at uh, predictive analytics and decisioning technology to solve problems in the risk management space. At Pega, it was around customer experience. And five years ago, I was approached by amazing investors who wanted me to look at one of their fintech startups to uh, see why things were not going as well as they thought. I uh, spent a year uh, working with that startup, supporting those investors, and I learned a lot around what not to do in the startup world. And in 2015, I worked with Startup Bootcamp to run the Startup Bootcamp in Shotech, which I grew as one of the leading InsurTech Accelerator in Europe, worked as well in shaping Hartford InsurTech Hub Accelerator three years ago with amazing government uh, people and the insurers located in Hartford. And right now I am evolving my proposition, let's say, to see how I can mix corporate startup engagement, next level of corporate startup engagement with the sustainability angle. You know, we've both been fortunate enough to be recognized, you know, top 50 InsureTech influencers. You know, we've traveled in many of the different InsureTech events over the last four or five years. And when I think back five years ago, you know, when InsureTech really kind of came on the scene, separating from FinTech, there's been a lot that has happened and a lot that has influenced the industry. I think initially we kind of all kind of paused trying to figure out what this all meant. And I think that as we begin to figure it out, we begin to really leverage insights from InsureTech. So what do you kind of see as the impact to the industry over the last four to five years? And what perils do you see uh, for insurance as we continue out the next three to four years, particularly as we see other industries being disrupted? And insurance really has the, has the potential to continue to be disrupted, particularly as we look at customer experience and their expectations of maybe having insurance embedded in other purchases, et cetera. Very interesting question. So I will I will start with the question around what has InsurTech brought to the industry. Um, you know, when InsurTech started in 2014 and 2014, 2015, there were probably something like, you know, 300, 400 startups, you know, entering the market. Gradually, the numbers have increased today. There are 3,600 startups in InsurTech. 1,500 of those startups have raised funding, and that represents around 29 billion today. Now, the interesting bit is when InsurTech started, it started because of the investors. They saw insurance as being 
ripe for innovation. And uh, they put around $4 billion of uh, money in startups to start disrupting the market. And that's when we saw the Zenefet and we saw the Oscar coming into the market. So what has insurance learned from InsurTech and mindset, you know, that you can actually do things in a shorter period of time, this agile development, uh, minimum viable products approach where you don't need to build something in 12 months or nine or 18 months. You can actually test the market and see whether the market really wants your product, your service, whatever you are designing. I think you need to make also a bridge between digital transformation, which is about improving processes for me, augmenting processes with new technology. So another point I think insurers have learned is that there's great things to do with all this emerging technology coming at us, that owning the customer experience could be great. And so what you've seen as well, partly in Europe, a lot of insurers are designing direct-to-consumer offers working with startups to actually attract new customer segment, underserved segments, put cooler, I would say cooler, sexier position to markets. Um, on the other side, I think you have those insurers really going for the digital innovation stream or theme where they are designing new product, new services to target those market segments. So how do I design to serve underserved markets? But I think where there's going to be the major opportunity will be in business models. I mean, business model design, identifying capabilities which are serving the customer of tomorrow, which means potentially frictionless experiences and learning from other industries, other industries, other, I would say, practice area, even from a technology viewpoint. So looking at the future, what I've seen is this, like some blurring of the line. Um, you would find insurers partnering with like Uber, Airbnb, as we know, and learning uh, to build ecosystem-based environment to work with young, young businesses or address the need of new segments. What I also actually probably noticed is that, you know, you have to understand what is going on in mobility. You need to understand what is going on in healthcare. You have, you know, the Apple Amazon and even Walmart of this world entering health, um, you need to actually look at changes also happening in the way we work, you know, with what is happening right now, uh, you know, being resilient, understanding the need even of a gig economist, an SME, a freelancer is going to become more and more important for large enterprises to succeed, to succeed tomorrow. As I think about all of that and I think about, you know, what we're all going through worldwide now with the coronavirus, we yet don't know what the full impact of this is going to be, not just from a personal standpoint, but across businesses and economies and countries, obviously. But, you know, what's going to be interesting is that every time we've had a kind of a major disruption, um, you know, whether it was uh, 9-11, it was, you know, financial meltdown in 2008, whatever it may be. Coming out of that, there's been some real innovation, move forward um, in really kind of rethinking things. And I think coming out of this, I think we're going to see some different kinds of risks and a different way to your point that, you know, the gig employees, you know, in the sharing economy, will we see an acceleration of some of that that really drives the need to really kind of develop some different kinds of products that are going to meet more holistically their broader needs, they move between jobs or, you know, as businesses kind of shift what, what it is that they're focusing on. I think when you, we think about the future of insurance, 
I think we're at a point now where we're going to see another set of uh, shifts happening just because of what we're going through. But I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, trend ahead. Don't you think, Sabine, and it's kind of your thoughts of that, because I think this is on top of mind of a few people these days. Absolutely. What we are going through is going to redefine and redesign a lot of things. I think you and I, you know, have started working from home. So we've been investigating for new remote tooling to work. So I think whatever we're experiencing now um, is going to impact, for example, just as a basic point of view, the future of work, the future of uh, how we as uh, businesses, we enable employees to work remotely. You know, what are the tools and techniques they could be using if they are not already using them at home. As uh, you know, somebody who work with startups, somebody who work with corporate, I need to look at new tools around whiteboarding and uh, design thinking, which I can do remotely actually right now to facilitate uh, some of the workshops I want to still run with my partners. There will be, I think, a lot happening around how work is done. It will also impact the way we do conferencing. It's fascinating the number of emails I've received uh, recently around conferencing moving online and whether you know I could join a webinar or facilitate a webinar during this current time to actually keep people's minds still busy and interesting. So turning an adversarial situation into a really positive one. Another thing I think uh, which is going to become more and more prevalent is you know while we were maybe looking at very sexy topics around you know growth strategy we are going to see businesses asking for more resilient um, strategy uh, design mm -hmm. requests trying to really understand how things are going to happen next three to four months so you know there's going yeah. to be a shift around uh, the immediate uh, needs around how innovation digital transformation can enable businesses to, to still be relevant for their customers in the next few months yeah i think that you know this the shift that we've been seeing with a lot of what we call platform technologies you know moving to the cloud so it's truly cloud enabled or cloud native you're taking advantage of APIs and an ecosystem, you're leveraging um, artificial intelligence, machine learning. You know, coming out of this, we've all been transitioning our, our core systems from a, a business perspective over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, but, you know, a lot of them still are not really truly cloud enabled. They're really an on-prem and they're, they're sitting on, um, you know, well, it might be modern technology, it's not necessarily there. And I think this, this acceleration of whatever, if it's a financial system or if it's your core business systems or it's your customer engagement or distribution engagement, all of those things, I think we're going to see a potential acceleration around, you know, moving to the cloud, around customer and agent engagement and around using some of these technologies to really help us work much smarter, whether we're on-site or we're off-site, uh, but doing it in a much more effective way. Would you agree with that, how we're kind of looking at these trends? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Technology-wise, you mentioned, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, being able to, to do that in a streamlined and a unified way uh, to start personalizing things to for employees and for customers, for any stakeholders, require a cloud uh, experience at the end of the day. You need distributed ledger as well. So you will see probably blockchain becoming a capability, which is things and take cost out operation. So you will may see you may see an acceleration around you know how we can make great 
usage of, uh, of blockchain technologies. But all the emerging technologies you mentioned are going to be leveraged to, to design what I call new innovation value drivers, uh, whether it's about personalizing an experience, engaging with an agent, whether it is about um, enabling ecosystems of parties to actually work better together. I love the, you know, the end financial case study, which I've been reading quite a lot as to how they were able to enable the SME and create mini companies around the, the major end financial company to actually really identify each of the problems which are affecting the small and medium enterprise in China and deliver services, really targeted services, some around education, which are educational, yep. others which are about free tooling um, and others for sure which are paid services. But they were able to take friction out and actually, you know, if you needed a loan at five, I mean, the minimum for a loan was $500, they were able to reduce that $50. So a lot of lessons to learn around enablement of small businesses, enablement of ecosystem, partners to succeed as well as you know, making your own, your own value and your own growth succeed. I think technology will become a, a major driver if that's been, but understand how you use those technologies to achieve amazing outcomes for, for businesses. And, and You know, one of the things you, you commented on um, was uh, the customer experience. And you put that in context of thinking about it in terms the customer, they're interacting in that. Do insurance companies want to own that relationship or are they just going to be a cog in a, in a bigger relationship? You know, somebody else has and they're just offering insurance as a part of an overall offering. I think that's a really big mindset change for insurance companies to kind of grasp that and think about how do we want to own the relationship? If we, if we do, how do we have to rethink how we offer insurance and how we offer maybe other value-added services to make that relationship more valuable and, and to your point, sexy and cool and everything else that really needs a different set of uh, dynamics. What's been your experience in, in working with some insurers around that? Has that been a real big mindset change uh, for people or are they still trying to kind of grasp what that all could mean? I think they're still um, trying to grasp with that, that question. You know, when we started the, the bootcamp in um, 2015, 60% of the startups which came into the bootcamp were focusing on this customer engagement because they knew that insurers were not the greatest as actually caring for their customer and designing really seamless experiences, which, you know, where you actually remove all those friction points, which are absolutely unnecessary. And so a lot of startups went into the market because they knew they could do that better than the insurers mm -hmm. themselves. Because, you know, when you look at some products, you know, 80% of those products are sold through brokers who actually own the customer relationship. I mean, brokers or agents who actually own the customer relationship, have the data on the customer and actually know how to take care of those customers, uh, which have removed the, actually, um, the insurer from, from those relationships. So some insurers realize that they wanted to start owning those relationships or learning how best to own some of those relationships and so found, you know, some of the freshness of the startups with, a, you know, because of the, the brand name they used, the, the technology they used to engage with the customer, the tools as well they used, you know, um, new ways to use social media, Instagram, you know, based on uh, the customer segment you are tra targeting and how to also design products and services which are relevant. You mentioned value-added services. Do I bundle everything or do I unbundle to allow someone to buy just, you know, phone insurance if they need to 
or you know, a bundle of phone and electronic products insurance, let's say. So what you start finding is this education has, I think, enabled some insurers to be a little more creative in the way they, 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 they drove their own personal growth, the way they design new ventures. So you've seen insurers um, building new ventures, whether that in the US or here in Europe, you know, Ergo build Nexable to actually mm-hmm. get access to that customer base much quicker you actually start seeing that uh, some insurers are trying to disrupt themselves. But at the same time, they do not want to cannibalize um, that broker relationship. So they have to be really clear around you know, what they believe need to be potentially completely frictionless or embedded in somebody else's value chain and what really still needs uh, a broker or an agent engagement, which will be for sure for the more complex product range. Exactly. So, you know, when I um, think about where insurers are, you know, AMBAS, you know, introduced their innovation rating earlier or last year and, and um, are beginning the, uh, the implementation of it, at least doing the initial assessments. And they had a, an early report out, I'm sure you've seen it, you know, that there's a few people out there that they're assessing that are kind of in that leader kind of perspective, but it's a pretty small percentage as compared to people who are kind of like middle of the road or those that appear to be fairly far behind from an innovation standpoint. When you kind of see insurance over the next three years, where do you see the industry going over the next three years? And how can companies begin to look at accelerating their focus on rethinking their business model, to your point, rethinking products, and looking to really uh, drive friction out of their processes to kind of rethink that overall experience? When you look at the immediate term i think a lot of focus will be on you know business continuity and building resilience i get a lot of question around climate change which i love you know climate yeah. resilience yeah. but i think when you start looking at the longer term uh, when you know we get out of the current situation uh, we are in we are going to spend more time looking at emerging risks you know when you look at this pandemic it's like okay maybe we could have been more aware of what is was going to happen and maybe we could have started embedding those emerging risks in our thinking which requires access to external data source so i think what you will find is much more interest around data exchanges and data external data sources which can augment you know underwriting capabilities precision underwriting Uh, and i will use another term as i mentioned the word sustainability sustainable underwriting too that will require you know, a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning and and new technology, but also will require companies to accept that for them to build the right thing, they need to embrace inclusive and diverse cultures and have not just one type of person building those things. Now, when you look at the three years from now, there will be probably much more acceptance and thinking around, you know, how do we make ourselves sustainable? And the discussion I'm having is, uh, you know, Sabine, how do we build the sustainable product and services of your future? How do we build inclusive insurance products? Uh, the question I'm getting is, okay, you know, if we are going to look at sustainability, we need to have responsible processes and structure, which goes back to your AMBS questions. What is the right leadership? What is the right culture and mindset? What are the processes and structure governance we need to have internally to succeed? And how do we make this flow? end to end with the right strategy to support it. 
And then uh, as you start looking at how everything connects, me as an insurer, insuring maybe still today some coal mining companies, and I need to help them you know, reduce their coal mining uh, and move to 30% renewable energy. Um, how do I make sure within my supply chain, anybody working with me actually is not destroying my ability to be responsible and sustainable. So I think when you look at three years from now, there will be probably more interest and more practices and more processes to actually enable innovation to be aligned to driving uh, this new topic, which include climate change, inclusion, preventative insurance, to name but a few. So what advice would you give to insurers um, as we start this new decade and as again, you know, look forward with a rapidly changing world from the standpoint of market dynamics, different emerging risks, technologies, uh, customers, you know, with the millennial and the Gen Z generation uh, becoming predominant uh, buyers in the marketplace. Um, what advice would you give to insurers um, as, we, as they look out forward to this new decade? I would say, you know, look at what you do in two different blocks. Are we trying to improve what we already have, which I personally categorize around digital transformation, looking at the operating model and using emerging technologies and potentially young ventures like startup to fast and quickly resolve an issue and still help the company be relevant for the target market they are going after and then look at digital innovation as a mean to create the new product and services which are required to actually be relevant in the future. Now for this to work I think businesses need to look at it as a balanced portfolio of activities and we all know about the McKinsey horizon models and you know the horizons are shrinking you know one two and three. I currently look at it slightly differently into you know the things which one could investigate and then the items that one should actually implement so when i look at the balance portfolio you should look at partnering with young businesses which is my core competency and investing in them as well and then you can actually start looking at acquisition i remember reading a cb insight report saying you know insurance love building stuff what about you know looking at buying there is a core competency lacking around how we buy, you know, acquire businesses, which could actually help us do things faster. So I I think there needs to be more understanding around the strategies around, you know, partnership, acquiring, investing, which are for me, what I call transfer strategies. And then you need to look at, as you transfer, you know, what are good opportunities for you to leverage as capability within or what we, so strategically, or what could become um, really good financial return investment capabilities and what you need to get rid of as part of that portfolio. I think it's a range of things. I was reviewing a piece of research I did recently. Some, uh, I was on a training course actually with Alex Alston Water and um, I was fortunate enough to, to get to hear about his new book around in, in, invincible companies coming out later next month. One key statistic he shared is for one to find one mega idea, so a unicorn, you need to invest, invest in 250 ideas or 250 startups. And so wow. you need literally to have a funnel of ideas of startups, on average 250 to get one mega idea. And I, I, I want to, I mean, to leave people on this call with, with that thinking. So if you are not actually working on 250 initiatives at a time, how would you achieve that mega, mega success in the future? 
that's a great insight. Can't wait for that. I, that book is out that I could uh, read it. If you could pick one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance, what would it be, Sabine? One word for me is sustainable, responsible, <laughs> caring for people with purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a perfect word for, uh, for our times at this uh, point in, um, in all of our lives and in our businesses. So thank you, Sabine. It's been a, a great conversation. Really appreciate your insights. And as we all um, uh, work through the, the challenges of, uh, that we're facing today, I am more confident than ever, as always, that the insurance industry will grasp hold of the opportunities here to really help businesses, help economies, and help individuals. We'll come out stronger on the other end. We'll come out with a better ideas at helping people really address some of these emerging risks. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having, yeah. having me on the, on the podcast, and it's a pleasure. Let's work on creating a better world. Absolutely. Thank you, Sabine. Pleasure. Thank you.